This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In our first segment, we talked about Americans coming here, and now we turn to the subject of Canadians going south and the prospect of much higher costs for travel medical insurance because of a Ford government decision. Now, you'll recall that Health Minister Christine Elliott announced the end of Ontario's coverage for out-of-country medical costs. The rationale was that it covered only a maximum of 400 bucks a day, which, frankly, will not buy very much of anything in the U.S. health system if you get sick there. And this program was extremely costly to administer. It was flagged by the Auditor General. The administration costs came to nearly a third of the entire amount that was paid out, which was not very high. It was about $9 million. Well, now, the health minister, the federal health minister, Jeanette Petipa-Taylor, was the one sending the letter. She warned that this could jeopardize access to necessary medical care, something which is required under the Canada Health Act. And she says it would also inevitably lead to higher premiums for Ontario travelers. If you are a snowbird or somebody who just spends some time in the United States in the winter, I'd love to hear from you. Or if you have other thoughts on the issue, the numbers to call 416 416- Three six zero zero seven forty toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Let's hear from those snowbirds. Uh, frankly, I'm, I gather that the actually best time to buy and arrange your travel medical for the following year is in August. So uh, I would imagine that those people are thinking about it right now. And uh, right now we go to NDP, MPP, Merritt Stiles, and Keith Martin, co-executive director at the Canadian Association of Financial Institutions in Insurance. Hello and welcome to you both. Great to be here. Uh, Keith? Hi, great to be here. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, now, um, let's start with Merritt Stiles. Uh, what do you think of the argument that this particular program just it just wasn't effective, certainly not from a financial point of view? Well, you know, I think for a lot of people, it was um, a it was assurance that there would be at least some coverage available uh, should they find themselves out of the country for family or other reasons. But I think where it really is going to hit people hard, and we've even had the Minister of Health in Ontario acknowledge this and yet do nothing about it so far, is with people who have existing conditions, like, for example, folks who need dialysis. Even though what was offered was just a, a drop in the bucket, it was at least it was at least some coverage uh, to for folks who actually will have difficulty getting insurance coverage um, when they leave, uh, even for, for, you know, very important reasons, like they have to get out of the country for work or for, for, for family travel. So it was a, an assurance that I think a lot of people counted on. And so I think that the government making this change, and I know we talked about it when they first, uh, when they first announced this a few months ago, I think it's left a lot of people feeling uncertain. And I, and I do agree. I mean, one of the concerns that people have is that this will... We will, we may see insurance premiums hiked up. 
I mean, from what I could see about the program, the average payout was $127 a day. Uh, and that in, in the context of healthcare in the United States is, it's, it's nothing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think when you look at people who, again, where this is going to really hit people the hardest is probably people who do need, who know, who like, and I, we always use the example of dialysis patients because, you know, there are some folks who, who have, where access to that out-of-country OHIP reimbursement is absolutely essential to their ability to leave the country for any reason. And the reimbursement um, under the previous program with OHIP was about $210 per treatment, which meant that they were at least partially covered uh, when a, a work trip a cross-border work trip or a family event or something like that came up. And, you know, these are life-sustaining procedures. So I think that the government has got to change the policy, um, and preferably they have to do it quickly to ensure that people like that get the care that they need when they're out of the country. Keith Martin, will this inevitably lead to higher premiums for travel medical? It will probably lead to higher premiums, but we do need to keep in mind that the amount that uh, was covered by the OHIP coverage was so low at $400 a day that I, I don't think that, that it will be dramatic. I, I think the more fundamental issue is the speed which which this is being implemented. It doesn't give consumers the opportunity to uh, digest this, to start thinking about options. And in general, we are aware in our association that a very significant number of Canadians travel without medical uh, travel insurance or with insufficient medical travel insurance. And if the government is going to take this action, it should do so um, over a longer time period. We'd suggest at least a year beyond the 1st October 2019 current timeline. And they should have a robust communication plan to let Ontarians know the risks of traveling without travel insurance. It can be catastrophic for a family uh, if they don't have travel medical insurance and uh, they they fall sick or get injured. In fact, Libby, according to the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medical Services, the average cost of a three-day hospital stay in the United States is approximately $30,000, and it's much more if it's a serious problem. So number one priority from my perspective for the government is to communicate to, to Ontarians the risks of traveling without purchasing insurance. Yeah, that that probably uh, goes even if if the, they kept this program. Keith, let me ask you this. Are there instances where uh, an insurance company that provides this insurance first sends a claim to the government for the first 400 bucks and then takes it? Is, is that what's happening? Because I, I thought I heard that said. Um, I'd have to look into that. That's not my understanding. Uh, my understanding is that you, you get the government payout and then uh, whatever else is left, your private insurer would uh, would take care of. Well, that's exactly. Uh, th- that's what I'm asking is, is, is the, you know, you would think if, if, if that's the case, it would have been a lot more than $9 million, no? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the government statistics at face value. I think that... Uh, um, it is true that there is not a huge payout from the government. And so from my perspective, the important thing here is, is not necessarily the, um, the premium hit or the lack of uh, payout from the government, but the need to communicate this more effectively. Okay. Um, and Merit Styles, one of the things that I've heard surrounding this and, and 
the health minister seemed to allude to this in her letter, the national health minister, about coverage from the Canada Health Act, is that there could even be a court challenge because the Canada Health Act says that all Canadians need access to health care, and this kind of flies in the face of that. Well, you know, it's been interesting over the last week. You can tell there's an election coming, right? Because it's suddenly we've got the federal health minister writing to the provincial health minister, and, and it's going back and forth. Um, but, you know, I really do wish in this case uh, we could just stick to what uh, what Ontarians need right now. And I, I thought Keith's point was really excellent. You know, the government spent, uh, I think, they, they admitted that they only had six days of consultation on these cuts. Uh, they aren't putting any money in that I can see into any kind of public information program or anything to to ensure people are aware of what's going on. Um, you know, does this is this is this something that's going to end up in the courts? I I have no idea. Right now, I see it as as something that's being used as a political football. But what we're talking about is um, absolutely you know people's health. And so again, I go back to it. If you're somebody who has a pre-existing health condition and you have to leave this country for any reason, you know, you're going to be worried right now about what you're, whether you're going to be able to qualify for insurance and how it's going to get covered. And for many people, what worries me, and I, I appreciate also your other guests mentioning this, is, you know, a lot of people already travel without that kind of coverage. We need to do a better job of, of informing people and the government needs to get out from hiding behind this and, and actually get out there and start to talk about it openly or else people are going to be put at even greater risk. And Keith, do you think that the rules will become even more restrictive? So, for instance, there are rules if somebody's had a health episode, whatever it might be, they have to have been stable for a certain amount of time, three months, six months, before they're even eligible. Do you think that those rules will be tightened up because of this? I don't think so. Um, let's keep in mind that the coverage that typically uh, would be offered through an insurance company would be so significantly higher than the amount that the government is paying that it's not like it's going to have that great an impact in terms of uh, premiums. And certainly I don't think it would have any impact on coverage. Um, it's, it's more about um, Canadians and Ontarians needing a sufficient amount of time to adjust and to understand the risk. Um, if they travel without travel medical insurance. That, that's true today, and this is, in a sense, an opportunity if the government has to go down this road to ensure that it uses it as a, a way to communicate uh, how significant a risk and even potentially catastrophic a risk it, it could be for Canadians. And, you know, we have done consumer research uh, with Polera, a uh, pollster on consumers' views of travel medical and Canadians who purchase it have a very good experience in terms of support, in terms of claims payout, which is 98%. So I think the industry is performing an important service. But if people don't know that they need it or if they're not purchasing it, uh, that really is, is not relevant because they, uh, they will be at risk because they don't have the coverage. Uh, but but just to, to go back to your original question, Libby, I, I, don't, I don't see um, that this policy, given the... Uh, the financial element that I mentioned in terms of how small uh, a coverage it is will, will really have a, an impact in terms of coverage from private insurers. We're going to get right to the phones. We've got Hal in Kitchener. Hello, Hal. Yes, hello. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I might ramble here because I didn't hear some of your conversation earlier, but I just wanted to let people know they dare not go to the States without travel insurance. It's just ridiculous. 
Yeah, and we know first, that. We do I know that. I have first knowledge of that because it cost me a frickin' fortune for a sprained ankle. Uh, yeah, how, when did that happen and how much did it cost you? About four or five years ago, about $18,000. Wow. What happened? Uh, I sprained it getting off a moped, would you believe? <laughs> okay, I believe that. Why not? Anyway, <laughs> it's one of those things. But on the other hand, I have also personal knowledge of uh, trips to Cuba. I go there about 30 times. Well, I've been there about 30 times in the last few years. I'm 84 years old. And I I can go to Cuba and get a broken arm or a broken leg done for $100. Okay, well, uh, and they have the I most, hope you don't have to do that. No, but they have the most wonderful uh, health care there. It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. And it's as good, if not better, than here. I mean... All the way down the line. Well, I, I'm I'm not sure that's true all the way down the line there, but uh, well, so 18... it is from uh, the people that I know that I email every other day and this and that. I've been going there, as I said, for for 50 years actually, and uh, I've I've noticed the country ever since. You know, right from then on. on. Okay, well, eighteen thousand dollars for a sprained ankle is uh, certainly a cautionary. Well, I was in the note. hospital uh, too, you know, and, and but everybody charges for everything. Yep. A little Band-Aid of, of some tiny little thing is $10 or more. Just some tiny little Band-Aid out of a box. Okay, Hal, thank you for that. Well, you take care. Okay, cautionary tale, people. Let's go to Al in Brantford. Hi, Al. Hello there. I was going to say the exact same thing that he said. The only place that $400 you'd be any good for is in some dark third-world country. Uh. Yeah, do you have any dollars that the government here in Ontario, provincial government does? We we have our we have a policy, my wife and I, and it's by the year, and we're covered as and and just in general, any time during the year for up to a week at a time. You pay a you pay a fee and you're covered. If we're going to be longer for anywhere else or any time, then you pay more and get a longer coverage. Right, and that works for you. Four hundred dollars is is is. I don't know where they come up with that being any good over the border for anything in the states. And what do you think about the prospect that your premiums might go up because because that four hundred dollars is being canceled? My premiums might go up. Yep, that's what that is. What uh, the health minister says will happen. Uh, our guest here from an insurance association uh, doesn't think it would be that dire, but that's one of the possibilities. Yeah. Well, I don't see how our OHIP in Ontario would go up because you're no, no, no. Your travel medical, your travel medical. Oh, travel medical. Yeah. Well, yeah, it could be, but it'll be small, minimal amount. If you can afford to go on a holiday to another country somewhere else, then you should be able to afford to have the insurance, or you sit at home and don't go. you got to go back to the Bob Ray days. Back, back when Bob Ray was in power, we were covering suntan lotion for people going on holidays through OHIP. I don't recall that, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> well, I know it was going on because I was one of the guys who was against it. If you could afford to go, buy your own suntan lotion. Okay, well, that's I, I, I would agree with that. Thank you, Al. Yeah. Okay, uh, so we've heard a couple of stories. I mean, is that is is that um, you know Al's view, uh, Merritt Styles? If you can afford to go on holiday or to be a snowbird and spend months in the United States. Well, uh, then you should be able to afford the medical insurance. You you disagree with that? Well, you know, I, I hey, look, I mean, I, I certainly agree with what your caller said about, you know, 
it really advising people not to travel without um, out-of-country insurance. Absolutely, 100%. Very important. And, and I mean, I, I just want to go back to your first caller who talked about the cost of his own experience. You know, it, it, there's no, we, we all know what a big, how expensive healthcare is in the United States. Uh, it, it would be here too if we didn't have universal Medicare. Um, but, you know, the number one reason that people in the United States file for personal bankruptcy is because of healthcare costs. So it's, it's really, um, it can really keep, uh, it can really mess up your whole life, uh, without question. And the amount that was being covered was minimal. Um, I think what we have to remember though, is, regarding your second caller's point is this isn't just about people who are, who are snowbirds who are going on vacation. Um, but it is also about people who go for work for short periods, people who are going for emergency or family issues. And as I said before, I mean, you know, let's also consider that there are some people who have pre-existing conditions yeah. for whom this is not an option. Yeah, that's um, that's a really difficult part of it. And uh, also there are issues, you know, that y- you get a form that you have to fill out when you apply for the insurance and you know, if that form is not filled out correctly, mm-hmm. uh, you can be denied coverage, right, Keith Martin? You could be, but we've done surveys of the claims experience of our consumers, and there's a 98% payout on claims. So only 2% where you see that sort of denial. So I understand your point, Libby, but I don't, I don't think it's very common. Okay, well, I I would be very glad to hear that, because uh, I have uh, certainly heard stories about that as well. So, Keith Martin, in general, uh, I believe that August is really the time that people should be thinking about their travel medical if it's it's for a trip in in the winter. And uh, do you expect when when would new rates come out? When would consumers kind of get information on this? I mean, the rates are available now. I, I uh, think that one of the challenges is that the first October uh, timeline for the government does make it difficult to get consumers the information they need about any changes that will be made. Um, but I, I do want to emphasize, Libby, that I don't think that, that the crux of this is going to be a, a, any significant change to people's premiums. I don't think uh, your listeners should be worried about that. It's more about the government taking the time to communicate these changes so that uh, industry can prepare consumers so that they themselves can educate consumers and to do it in a timely and uh, sort of a prudent way. Uh, If it has to happen, uh, let's implement it effectively and make sure that consumers have the highest level of knowledge and protection possible. Merritt Stiles, I mean, this sounds like a lot of other things that this government has done really, really, really quickly. And then, you know, they often have to backtrack. We're we're just hearing about changes to their autism file today. you know, how do you see it in, in that context? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen, uh, and I think autism program is a very good example. I mean, a really devastating example of what happens when government makes, you know, rash decisions um, with the excuse of saving money without really thinking this through. I mean, our leader, Andrew Horvath, back in May, um, early on in this in this conversation about the, the cuts to the OHIP out of country, um, said, you know, pointed out to the Minister of Health in the legislature that, that this was going to hit some patients, particularly, and she used the example of dialysis treatment, um, 
more, worse than others. And what would the minister do about it? And the minister said, actually in the House, that she was committed to, to looking at that issue and doing something about it. And here we are months later and, and no solution. And, you know, if you, what we've seen, I think, is a government that is making, again, really rash decisions without, you know, without proper consultation. It's one thing to hold, you know, to send out a survey and say you've, you know, talked to a whole lot of people in a short period of time. But, you know, we, we expect you to talk to the people who really know this area, you know, like the folks who, um, who are on the phone today or others, you know, who, ha- who actually really understand what the impact will be and make sure you don't make mistakes that are going to leave people out in the cold or in the case of all of those poor families um, with children who have autism, you know, fighting for their lives for the last few months and then finally getting them to reverse it. And we still don't know uh, what that final program will look like. Okay. And uh, Keith Martin, what would you like to leave us with pretty quickly? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree with some of those comments that uh, policies need to be implemented uh, over a sufficient period of time that, uh, that that people can understand what the implications are and prepare. And um, communication as well is absolutely critical, as I've, I've mentioned several times. And I, I hope the government will reconsider both its timelines and uh, make a commitment to communicating this to consumers uh, really effectively. We don't want to see people traveling without proper coverage and facing some of these dire consequences that some of your callers talked about. Okay, well, it will be very interesting to see if this does, in fact, become an election issue uh, and if this is yet another file that the government backtracks on. Uh, right now, thank you so much, Merritt Stiles and Keith Martin. Thank you so much. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.